Uh, my name's Matt. If it's your first time here, welcome. If you are tuning in uh, through the internet, welcome. If you're in zone two, welcome. Uh, glad you are here. Uh, we do have a new sermon series, and it is called The End of the Beginning. End of the Beginning, uh, Key Questions About the End of This Age. So you can see we made up a pretend book there and even gave it a title, and uh, that's kind of a a bit of a metaphor for what we're going to be learning about uh, when it comes to the end. Now, if you're wondering what, what it means by this age, uh, this age would be the time period up until the return of Jesus. So really what we're talking about in this sermon series is, um, is in biblical uh, terms, we, we say sometimes end times, talking about the end times, or sometimes eschatology, which is a technical term for the study of the end. Uh, for some of us, uh, we've never, never heard about this. This is like a new area of, of study. Maybe you're newer to the church uh, or whatever it may be. Uh, when you think of the end, the only thing that, that may come to your mind is like that guy on the street corner with a sandwich board that says the end is near. He's ringing a bell and saying, repent, repent. That might be what comes to your mind. Um, that's, that's not exactly what we're going to be talking about. Um, for others, uh, eschatology is, uh, man, your hobby. Right? You, like, you just love studying this stuff. Uh, you have a lot of YouTube channels that you follow. You really are into biblical prophecy and looking for connections to what's going on in our world today. And um, this season of our world is kind of the perfect time for that because everywhere we look, it seems like there is more and more uh, turmoil and trial. There are wars. There's, there's earthquakes, uh, cultural breakdown, and now a worldwide pandemic. I mean... I've had a lot of people say to me that this, this is the end times, right? This has got to be the end times because of all the stuff that is, that is happening. And so is that what this series is going to be about? Like, are we going to spend our time uh, looking at, you know, the various political figures in our world and trying to make connections to the book of Daniel? Uh, the answer is not really, frankly. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time making those kinds of connections, um, not because it's not important to be aware of what's going on in our world and what's in, in the Bible, but really what we're going to do is focus on what is revealed in Scripture about the end. The, the absolutely certain things that are there that can bring us hope in these times of uncertainty. So it doesn't mean that we should be building bunkers and painting signs, uh, but what it does mean is that we can find a lot of hope and peace uh, when we have clarity about what is to come. Uh, so that's really going to be our focus uh, our plan for the series is every Sunday, uh, we're going to ask and answer a key question, a key area, uh, a topic area. For example, we're going to have one Sunday on just uh, the, the return of Christ. When is Jesus going to return? What's that going to look like? Uh, we're going to ask questions about the millennium. If you've never heard of that, that'll be interesting. Is it important? When is it coming? What should we think of it? Uh, what's going to happen to Satan and, and his demons, all the evil forces in the world? How is that going to end? What about the final judgment? What about right now uh, when we die before the end? What happens to our souls there? And of course, we're going to look at the new heavens and the new earth. So all these big topics that the Bible makes uh, very, very clear. Um, so if you're wondering whether we're just going to unpack the book of Revelation, uh, the answer is no. We're going to be there uh, at certain times. But in fact, uh, there's a lot of information about the end throughout the New Testament. So every Sunday, we're going to kind of focus topically and then look at what Bible passages speak to that topic. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to uh, let you know about, which may be of interest, is that on October 16th, we are going to have an evening of eschatology. 
So a lot of these topics are, um, I mean, we're only going to be able to do so much on a Sunday morning, and uh, we thought it'd be helpful to have an evening where we can have question and answer. We're going to bring in uh, different Bible teachers, kind of representing different points of view, because in, in Christian circles, there are different points of view about kind of how things are going to happen. Uh, and so we're going to have opportunity to learn about that and ask questions. So if this is something that you know you're interested in, put it on your calendar. Uh, as we go through it, if you have more questions, put it on your calendar, and uh, we'll be here either online or in person on October 16th. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dig into our first kind of topic for today. So uh, let me pray. Lord God, we are thankful, as always, uh, I hope, for an opportunity to come and to devote our attention to your word. Uh, Lord, I pray in particular as we uh, cast our minds forward to the end of all time, the end of of the world, the end of our lives, uh, Lord, I I pray as we do that, that uh, we would be greatly blessed. We'd be blessed because we draw nearer to you, uh, because perhaps there are areas where we're uncertain and we find great certainty in the word. I pray for today, Lord, as we just kind of introduce the topic, that you would help us to to come to a right understanding of um, the whole idea of eschatology and, and how we should think of it and what the purpose of it is. And so I pray for your blessing right now. Speak to us, guide us uh, by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so this sermon is going to have three points, as sermons often do. Um, and before we get to our main question of the day, uh, I want to make this one uh, first point, which I think uh, is helpful, uh, more of a reminder. And it's simply this. Uh, we need to be reminded that endings are important. Endings are important. This may be obvious to you, uh, but I think it's important to say this because uh, the ending of uh, many things really determines the thing itself. So for example, uh, endings of stories that we love, movies, uh, plays, books, uh, they are hugely important. I'm not sure about you, but there are many times when I'm watching a movie and I'm thinking to myself, man, I hope they don't mess up the ending. Right? Like, this is going great. This is a great story. But if they mess up the ending, then this whole movie is going to be ruined because of the ending. That that happens all the time. Uh, Many, you know, pieces of art, they live or die based on the ending, whether it's great or not great. Um, I remember uh, a show that we used to watch a a lot in the early 2000s called Lost. Anyone remember Lost? Lost was a show with a whole lot of people in it, had a huge cast of characters. It was about this plane crash landing on this tropical island. But it was one of those... uh, stories, those series where every week they would just reveal a little bit more. It was very mysterious. There were supernatural things going on and you would watch every week and the story would unfold slowly and it was compelling. But after five seasons, uh, they had a huge fan base, like 15 million people every week tuning in, most, one of the most popular shows. Uh, a lot of people were saying, man, how are they going to end this? Because this is great, but they better have a good ending. And it was interesting, uh, at the end of the fifth season, the show creators came, they had a press conference, and they basically said, okay, um, we're going to do one more uh, season, and we have an ending. Just so everyone, if you're worried, we have an ending already, so hang in there, we're going to get to the end, we're not just making it up as we go along. And so we all tuned in through the whole series, and uh, that season, at the end, uh, the ending, I remember being like this, eh, that was okay, that was a little disappointing, but uh, not the most horrible thing. And it just reminds me, as I think of it, look, endings are so important. A good ending, man, a good ending is so satisfying, isn't it? When there's a good ending, when all the plot parts are tied up, uh, things are concluded well, all the conflict is resolved, a good ending is so satisfying because usually um, it reveals something deep and meaningful about the story itself. There's truth, there's purpose that is revealed. We all love a good ending. But what about life? What about endings in life? Because 
you know, a lot of the time we tend to tell our lives as a story, but the truth is that real life doesn't seem to always have meaningful endings. I mean, there are many things in life that end without any purpose at all, seemingly. Relationships end, life experiences come to a grinding halt, life itself comes to an end for people all over the world every day, and there are many of those deaths that, that people there who know them would say, there's no, there's no meaning here, there's no purpose here, I don't understand what's, what's going on. Or worse yet, there are times when we long for an ending, and it just doesn't seem to come. There's suffering, there's, there's trials, whatever it may be, and we think, when, when is this going to end? When is there going to be some resolution? That's kind of the driving force uh, but behind our key question this morning, kind of an introductory question, and the question is this. Is there an end in sight? Is there an end in sight, biblically speaking, for the world as we know it, for the life as we know it? I mean, is all of this actually going somewhere? Is there some final satisfying resolution on the horizon? And if there is, what can we know about it here and now? See, this is what the Bible speaks to in a compelling way. But before we get there, I think it's helpful or, or important that we acknowledge the fact that from a secular point of view, this, this all-important question really has no good answer. Because from a secular point of view, life as we know it doesn't have any meaning. I mean, the beginning of the universe from a secular point of view, scientific point of view, is that there was a big bang, a random series of events that just happened and everything since then has been equally meaningless. Life itself has no grander purpose. It's just a bunch of things that happen. And so if you suffer, you suffer. If you die, you die. There's, there's no meaning to it. And to look for any meaning in it really misses the point. I mean, we, we talk about life this way. We say things to people when they're struggling or when things don't seem to work out. We say, well, th that's, that's life. And what do we mean by that? We mean, why are you trying to look for, you know, why do you hope that things will work out well or have meaning? It's, it's just life. People die, things end. You shouldn't expect any, any different. The interesting thing is that while that is the predominant view of our culture, that's, that's not how we interact with our lives. I mean, there's a reason why we long for good endings. We love good endings. Because we, we have this something in us that needs a resolution to conflict. We, we need for there to be a, a meaning and a purpose behind the things that are going in our lives. In fact, when that's not there, I mean, we're frustrated, we're angry, we slip into depression and anxiety. It's really no surprise that those kinds of things are on the rise in our culture because how can we have hope if there's no real meaning? How can we have hope when all of this is just barreling along and there's no real end in sight? But see, that's a stark contrast to the biblical worldview. The biblical view of, of our lives is a very, very different picture. The Bible makes clear that the world and human beings are part of a grand story written by God with a beginning, a middle, and an end. There is meaning and purpose woven into the beginning of our story, which means that we who are a part of it, we have we have meaning and purpose woven into our lives and it is all proceeding towards a definite conclusion where there will be a resolution. So here's the second point and the answer to our question. Uh, is there any end in sight? The answer is yes. Yes, there is an end in sight. Absolutely. We, we can be completely confident in terms of what the Bible reveals about reality, about our lives, about human existence, is that there is an end coming and God knows it already. He's already written the end of the story. 
Now, uh, the details of the end, they've always been a bit difficult to, uh, to figure out for God's people. And there's a few different reasons for this. One of them is that we are finite beings. God is infinite. And so it's difficult to grasp all that he's doing. Uh, another reason it's hard for us to kind of conceive of the end properly is because of our lack of faith. Sometimes we simply just don't trust that where God is leading, what he is doing is good for us. But another big part of it is that, you know, the story that God has written is just way different than we would write it. Like it's much grander, much more magnificent than what we could conceive of. Even as we think about the biblical story, for those of us who have read the Bible more than once, it's sometimes tough to remember the, the big picture of what God is doing. So I thought it'd be helpful at the beginning here uh, of our time looking at the end for us just to look at that big picture, the narrative of reality from a biblical point of view. And in honor of everyone who is going back to school this week, uh, we are going to do a plot diagram of, of the Bible. Okay, so plot diagrams. If you're in middle school, you're going to love this uh, because you get to do this with all sorts of stories. And a plot diagram always looks the same. Here's what it looks like. It's got an introduction part, and then it's got rising action to a climax, and then falling action. And if we think about the Bible, we have all of these elements very clearly communicated. So when it comes to the introduction, we get that in Genesis, right? With the introduction, we have everything that we need. We have the establishing of characters. We have the establishing of, of a setting. We know by the end of Genesis 2 who God is, who people are, where they are, and the purpose. Their purpose is to bear the image of God, to go out into the world, uh, to fill it with the glory of God. But in every story, there is a conflict. And we get the conflict in Genesis 3. That's sin. The moment that uh, Eve is tempted by uh, the devil to think, you know, did God really say that? Does God really love you? As soon as she uh, entertained that idea, sin flooded into human existence. And ever since that point, there has been more and more conflict. And so the rising action of the biblical narrative all through the Old Testament is a battle with sin. You see God's people battling sin internally where they're struggling with idolatry, struggling to, to obey God and his commands and not being able to do it. You see them struggling externally where the warring nations are coming. They're, they're opposing the, the people of God. All of this leads towards a climax. And by the end of the Old Testament, there is a lot of dramatic tension because the prophets of God have come Right? God has sent his prophets to tell his people, look, here's what's going on. Here's what you need to understand. Some of the prophecies are about judgment against sin. You need, to, you need to be careful. As you engage in sin, as you don't repent, there's going to be judgment for you, but some of the prophecies are about mercy. And by the end of the Old Testament, there's this, there's this tension of how is this all going to be resolved? That's what a good story always has. How, where's the climax? And so what I want to do before we get to the climax is to, to enter into the mindset of the faithful person of God, Jewish person, by the end of the Old Testament, what would they have been thinking? And so I thought what we should do is look to the very last prophecy of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can look uh, in Malachi chapter 4, or it will be on the screen. Uh, this is the very last book of the Old Testament, the very last chapter of the Old Testament. And uh, here's what the prophet Malachi says. This is God speaking to his prophet. He says, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So you'll notice this is speaking about a very specific day, about the, the last day, the final day, the day of judgment. 
Uh, if you were to read this, you would have in your mind a very clear idea that there is going to be a day when God is going to come and all sin will be dealt with. I mean, all the, all the things, all the evil, all the injustice, there will be a day when God will come once and for all to bring justice. But that's not all God will do. Because in the next few verses, uh, Malachi speaks about mercy. Look at verses two and three. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So this day that is being spoken about, it brings about judgment for those who've rejected God, but also victory for those who fear God. That they will be healed that the son of righteousness will come, whoever that is, and it will be a great day, a day of mercy and blessing and victory over sin. But there's one other element that God includes. Look at, look at verse five. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So think about this for a moment. If, if you were, again, a faithful Jew at that time, you knew this prophecy, you knew what God had said, um, just so you know... From Old Testament to the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence. So there's a lot of years where if you were one of God's people, you were thinking about the Old Testament prophecy, you were looking around, seeing all the sin in the world, seeing the conflict, and you were thinking, man, there's going to be a day coming. There's a climax. There's an end, right? We know there's an end. And when that end comes, there's going to be a prophet who comes and tells us about what's going to happen. And then someone's going to come and bring judgment against sin and healing. Man, I can't wait for the end to come. So just think if you were in Israel, and you heard about this guy, John the Baptist, who was preaching a lot like Elijah, right? Saying, look, you need to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then you heard about this guy named Jesus, this rabbi who was doing amazing things in the marketplace. They were talking. He was healing people. He was, he was talking about forgiving sins. He was doing miracles, like providing food for people. He didn't just have words from God. He seemed to be God. He clearly was the Messiah that you were waiting for. What would you think? You would think it's the end. This is great. This is what we've been waiting for. All the things Malachi are checked off. Elijah, check. Son of righteousness. That sounds like this guy, Jesus. He's, he's righteous without sin. He's bringing healing. Check, check, check. If you had your plot diagram out, you would fill it in, right? The next part would be climax, Jesus. Jesus is the climax that people have been waiting for. At least that's what they are waiting for. Where's the plot diagram? I want to see it. I like to check all the, all the boxes. There it is. Oh, it's good. The climax that the Old Testament people thought was Jesus, right? Jesus is, is fulfilling all of these things. He must be the climax to the story. The strange thing was, though, for the disciples, is that there was a part of Malachi's prophecy that didn't seem to be happening. Because Jesus, he was definitely saying people should repent of sin. He was definitely bringing healing and forgiveness. But all the part about blazing and, and judgment, Jesus wasn't talking that way. In fact, he was talking about dying. He was talking about suffering for sin. And he was telling his disciples, look, you need to be ready to suffer too. And so as the ministry of Jesus went on, I think the disciples were starting to think, maybe this isn't the end. Like, it seems like it is, but, but is it? Because it doesn't match up fully with all the prophecies. What, what exactly is going on? There was a lot of confusion for the disciples. Even after the cross. The cross, if you think about that, they would have been like, wow, gee, 
Jesus is alive again. I mean, a resurrection? Okay, now this has got to be the end. In fact, you see them talking to Jesus after the cross, after the resurrection, after he's visited many people. And now they don't know it, but he's about to leave and look at their question. Here's Acts 1, 6 to 11. This is uh, interesting. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're like, now's the time, right? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That would have been surprising and a bit confusing still because what they realized is that even though this was a climax, this was not the end of the story, that Jesus was leaving and that he would return. And so in fact, what was being revealed there is not that Malachi's prophecy was flawed, it's just that it was condensed. Before Jesus came, everyone thought the end would happen all at once. But after Jesus came and then went back up into heaven, what people realized was there wasn't one climax, there was two. So if we go back to our, our plot diagram here, you see the first climax was the first coming of Jesus, but in fact, we're all now waiting for the second coming and, and the true climax, which is when he returns. So this is a story with not one climax, but, but two. And you'll notice, if you can see it, where we are. We are in the valley in between. This is helpful for us because it explains a lot about life as we know it. Uh, John Piper talks about this dynamic as a glorious perplexity. He says it's glorious because there's so many things that Jesus did when he came that are glorious, that are amazing. He, he gave an answer for sin, right? The conflict that had been you know, keeping everyone in turmoil for all those generations. Now we have an answer to sin. We need to confess our sin to be saved. He said it's finished. He, he welcomed us into the family of God. We're adopted. Now G, uh, God sees us through Jesus and we're righteous. All of these amazing, glorious things. But it's also perplexing because everything is not resolved yet. See, in the valley, we should still uh, expect to experience struggles with sin because that hasn't been totally done away with. We should still expect to experience sickness and death and struggle to feel close with God. See, in the valley between these two climaxes, um, we are often overcome with despair. And we often find ourselves wondering, is there an end? Like, is this actually going to be resolved? Because I know Jesus came once, but it just doesn't seem like he's ever going to come again. But God's word makes very clear. There is an end in sight. This is not one of those stories that just spirals off into nothingness or that they just kind of figure out as they go along. There is a clear and definite end, one that has been revealed to us through Scripture. And one of the clearest parts in Scripture that kind of exhorts us to be aware of this end is the book of Revelation. And right at the beginning it says this. Here's Revelation 1 and, uh, 1 and 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. 
You see what is being said there. Look, you should want to know what God says about the end. In fact, uh, God has promised to bless us as a people as we understand as much as is revealed here about what is to come. That's the whole reason really we're doing this sermon series is that as the people of God, we should be convinced about the clarity that God provides at the end of times. There is definitely an end coming. Now the details, some are still hidden. Uh, If you think about the people with the prophecy of Malachi, there was a lot that was hidden there. They thought they had it figured out and yet it was way different than they thought. But with the words of Jesus, he has filled in a lot of those gaps. So look, there's still things that we can discuss and, and maybe disagree about in terms of the details, but there are some very definite events that are going to happen that we can have absolute certainty about. So this is our third point. Our third point is this. The Bible gives clarity about the end. Clarity. Not, not absolutely every detail, but the things that we need to know are there. And so with the remainder of our time, what I thought we would do is um, look at the clear things, the absolutely certain things that is revealed in the Bible. And many of these things we're going to touch on much more deeply as the series progresses. But to start with, how about a, a big picture of when we think about the end, what should we have in our mind? What should we expect? So here are seven things, seven things that if you're reading through the New Testament, you're going to just hit time and again and be like, oh yeah, that's going to happen at the end. I'm going to give you the thing itself and then one part in the Bible where we get it from. So here's the first thing. First certain thing about the end that we should expect, we should expect tribulation. Mark 13, 19 to 20 says, for in those days, that's the end days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Uh, So tribulation means like intense suffering and trial. And uh, to be frank, there's some disagreement about when this tribulation is going to come, what it's going to look like. Some people say, look, it's a definite time period right before the end. Others say we're in it right now. Some people say we're in it, but it's actually going to get better. We can disagree about some of that. What should be clear is that there's going to be tribulation. We shouldn't be surprised. In fact, if you look at Revelation itself, it's written so that we would have faith and confidence in God through the tribulation. So, tribulation, it's there, it's to come as well. Uh, Second thing, probably one of the most important things, uh, when it comes to the end, Jesus will return. That's the second climax. We saw it already in our handy uh, plot diagram. Uh, Here's where we find in the Bible. Mark 13, uh, 24 to 26. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. So this is an essential feature of the end, the second climax. The first climax was the first coming of Jesus. The second climax is the second coming. You'll notice, though, that it's a very different coming for Jesus. The first coming, Jesus came in mercy, in grace. He came as a a little baby, meek and mild. He came to die for our sins. But the second coming, he will come to bring judgment against sin. He will come not as, as a child, but as a conquering soldier riding on a war horse. This is the picture we get in Revelation, leading the armies of angels of heaven to come and to to bring an end to the wickedness of the earth. It's important we know that with the coming of Jesus, he brings the final judgment. And in fact, that's the third thing. So Jesus will return. We'll talk more about that. But also, there is final judgment. Um, In one of the 
parts of Matthew where Jesus is speaking about the end, he tells a parable about uh, a field. And there's these weeds in the field. And, and the weeds are those who are in sin. And the farmer comes and takes the weeds and burdens them. And he's speaking about that as a metaphor for what's going to happen at the end. So here's how it concludes. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be uh, at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. So this is the justice that the world longs for. If you think about all those times when we are frustrated by the injustice, by the suffering, this is the answer. God's final answer to it is that all sin will be dealt with. The warning, though, of this, of course, is that uh, all human beings fall into the category of lawbreakers. So when we think about the end, what should be on the forefront of our minds really is that there is a warning. The warning is that we need to be ready for the end. That when that day comes, if we don't have an answer for our sin, meaning if we aren't able to say, look, our sin has been paid for. Jesus came the first time. He died for my sin. I believe in him. If we don't have that answer, then we will be paying for our sin. There will be a day where God says, my offer of mercy is done. That should also be a part of our understanding of, of the end. Fourth thing. Fourth thing we see is that with the end comes the culmination of the kingdom. Uh, Matthew 13, 24, then comes the end when he, that is Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God, the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Uh, so remember, uh, Piper, John Piper said that there's a perplexity of living right now. And part of that perplexity is some parts of the kingdom of God seem to be here meaning um, we are welcomed into the kingdom. If you're a Christian, you're a citizen of the kingdom already. Uh, you have the hope of being in the kingdom of God, but the kingdom isn't here fully. Like Jesus isn't ruling and reigning completely on the earth. There are other authorities and powers that are wreaking havoc on the earth. We should be excited about the kingdom. Because if you think about every exciting thing that Jesus did, like all the cool stuff, Right? Controlling the weather, healing people's legs, casting out demons. All of those were pictures of the kingdom. He was saying, look, this is what it's going to be like to live in my presence in heaven forever. That there's going to be an end to sorrow, an end to illness, an end to sickness. So when we think about the end, we should think the kingdom is going to come in its full expression. It's not going to be just in part. It's going to be a glorious, wonderful thing for all of, for all of eternity. Now, five and six kind of go together. And they seem like they are contradictory, uh, but they're not. So here's number five. Number five, when we think about the end, uh, quite simply, all things will end. That's what we're told. All things. First uh, Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What this means is, frankly, tough to conceive of. It's telling us, though, that everything that we know of in terms of reality, in terms of the world, will be done away with. Uh, if you think of a, a renovation, we're not talking about like a bathroom renovation. We're talking about a wrecking ball, taking down the house and building anew. That's why the next part goes with it. So all things will come to an end, but number six, the story will continue. The story will continue. Revelation 21.5, and he who is seated on the throne said, this is Jesus, he says, behold, I am making all things new. So this really is uh, key. Key to understanding what kind of story we're in. Because up to this point, um, man, I hope there's a lot of hopefulness, right? All these things that are going to happen, the 
kingdom and to sin, Jesus returning. This is all very exciting. It should be. But this truth, it changes the whole dynamic of the story. Because what it means is that instead of this being like a one-volume book with the beginning, middle, of an end, um, it's actually an epic saga with like multiple volumes. Think of Lord of the Rings, or if you need to, Harry Potter, or some other series of books that you're captivated by, right? That, that you read the first volume and you were like, this is so great. This is fantastic. I hope they write another one. And when they do, oh, yes, I want this story to continue. That is the story of human existence according to the Bible. That's why we called this sermon series the end of the beginning. Because when Jesus returns, it's just, this is just the beginning. All of this up to this point is the beginning. There's an eternity ahead. And really the question is, where will we spend eternity? Because the picture God gives for us is of a wonderful, glorious eternity lived in his presence if we trust in him. And yet if we don't, there's an eternity to pay for our sin. But we should understand that while there's a definite end, it's not the final end. There is much more to come. And that should put in perspective what we're living right now, right? The suffering, the trial, the tribulation, over and over again, the Bible says, yeah, but keep this in mind. We're talking about eternity, about the glories of, of heaven that God has in store for you. You can endure this because you know that the story is much longer, much more fantastic than you originally had in mind. The last thing about the end uh, is, I think, the most important thing. And it's simply this. Jesus is the end. Jesus is the end. Jesus isn't just a component of some of the things that will happen at the end. He is the end. Look at Revelation 21, 5 and 6. Also he said, this is Jesus speaking, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You'll notice Jesus isn't saying, I was there at the beginning and I'll be there at the end. He's saying, I was the beginning. I am the end. What does he mean by that? I mean, the grammar of it is different than we would, we don't normally speak that way. But we know what it meant, means that Jesus is the beginning because in the book of John, it says everything was created through him. So when we read um, the creation account in Genesis, says God created the heavens and the earth. We know from the book of John that was Jesus doing that. In him was all the power and the creativity for life itself. Everything in our world came by his power. He, he is the beginning of all things. But what does it mean that he is the end? Well, I was thinking that we actually talk about some things this way. For example, if I used the expression, if I said to you um, about someone we knew who was ill, and I said to you, well, you know what? Um, that bad heart of his, that's going to be the end of him. We know what I mean, right? The presence of that bad heart in his body means the end of his life eventually. It, it's the presence of the bad heart that brings the end of his life. It's the presence of Jesus that will bring about the end of all things of this world. But also his very presence, his authority, his power, that means that he can recreate all things to be perfect and new. That's what he says. He says at the end, behold, I'm making all things new. So that's why the story has a definite end and Jesus has the power to bring about that end, but also it has a continuation of life and everything that God has in store. This is important for us to know because what it means is if we are, if we are studying end time stuff in the Bible, 
Like if we're doing eschatology, we should always end up focusing on Jesus. Like if, we're, if we end up somewhere else, then we're not doing it right. And this is important because um, it's very possible, as you might already know, to study end times theology and end up in a lot of different places. And so um, I want to end just with a couple of words, kind of maybe pastoral words in terms of how we as a church, I hope, are going to engage in this topic of study. Uh, I want to speak to two kind of leanings. The first leaning, uh, I think, could be from those of you who might say to me, uh, Matt, listen, this end time stuff, frankly, it's just, it's just a bit much. Like, I know that it's there in the Bible, but I just get a bit freaked out when you start talking about end time stuff because I got people in my life, like I got my uncle. Whenever I go to a family dinner, he always corners me and he starts talking about Bible numerology and, and symbols and he sends me all these YouTube videos about all these secret societies and he's always trying to explain to me how all these things fit together and frankly, Matt, like I just want to say, um, you know what, Jesus, he's coming back, he'll figure it out. Can't we just say that? Like, why do we have to study this? Jesus will figure it out. We don't have to know all the details of all the different, you know, world leaders and how it fits in. I will tell you that that was more or less my disposition towards these uh, from when I became a Christian in my teens uh, for a long time. I was like, it's too much to try to think about, so I'm not going to. Uh, to me and to you, I would say this. Endings are important. And there's a reason why Revelation 1.3 says this. Let me remind you what it said. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. God wants for us to spend time thinking about the end. Not because he wants us to get caught up in all these other things, but because he wants for us to draw nearer to Christ and have confidence in times of uncertainty. So now to the other end of the spectrum, to the person who is super jazzed. I mean, you may be super jazzed. You're like, Matt, this is what I've been waiting for. I'm so excited. I've, been, I've, been, I've got a lot of notes, Matt. I'm just so you know, I'm going to send you a lot of emails. I've got a lot of YouTube links. You're going to just hear all of my theories about all of the prophecies. To, to you, I would say, look, you are right to be excited about studying the Bible, of course. And we should have our, have our eyes up and look at the world around us. But, but we need to be careful that we don't lose sight of Jesus. We need to be careful that as we study these things, that we remember the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus himself. That he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. That he is our hope. That if we're going to be confident in something. If there's one thing that we need to know, it's the gospel of Jesus. It's that he is returning, yes, and he will bring judgment against sin, but he's already come to give us the, the merciful offer of salvation. And so my hope for us as a church is that we will maybe uh, step into some areas which are uh, unfamiliar to us, but that we will always return to the word of God and that through this, we will, we will grow in our love for Jesus that we will have greater confidence in the things that are going to happen in our lifetime, in generations to come, because we know more about who Jesus is and what he's going to do. So let me end in prayer for us, and, uh, and next week we'll start in. Uh, Lord God, we are thankful for uh, your word. Thankful, Jesus, that you spent a lot of your time teaching about the end. And um, I pray, Lord, that for us as a church, for those tuning in, visiting, I pray this would be a really fruitful time. I pray, Jesus, you would help us not to lose sight of you, uh, that we would not uh, get caught up in uh, earthly or human uh, kind of philosophies about what might happen, but Jesus, we would come back again and again to what you have revealed. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to be really gracious with each other. 
Lord, there are areas uh, where brothers and sisters in Christ differ about things, and that's okay. Secondary things that are, that are not the important things. The important things, Jesus, you've made clear. May we agree on those things, and may we be really gracious with each other as we discuss the others. I pray this week, Lord, that we would have confidence because we know that we are part of a story that you've written and that there is an end coming and that there's hope in it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.